This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Putting It Together, the podcast that goes through the entire body of work of Stephen Sondheim, show by show and song by song. My name is Kyle Marshall, your self-described Sondheim expert. Today is a very special day. I had this wonderful opportunity to talk to Kurt Peterson. This came about because you may remember from a few weeks ago that I talked with Ramona Mallory. Ramona Mallory, of course, was in the revival version of A Little Night Music on Broadway. And after that episode, we kept on talking and she mentioned how there was a lot of other people in her life that she thought that I should talk to, one of them being Kurt Peterson. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell to you, well... Get ready, because he was in the original production of Follies. He was also in the original production of Dear World. Not a Sondheim show, I realize, but a really interesting failure when you look at the history of musical theater. He would go on to be in the revival of West Side Story. He was also in the Canadian version of Company. You'll hear all about this and all the other stuff that he has done, including how he transferred from being only an actor to also being a creative producer. So I've got him on the phone here just a few weeks ago and hope you enjoy the conversation. By the way, I should point out that we kind of just launched into the show. So you're going to basically hear this mid-conversation on the other side of the music. What will tomorrow bring the pundits query? Will it be birds in spring or harakiri? Don't worry, dearie. I I know other people have said this too, but like, even if it's not sad necessarily, there's something about emoting on stage. Um, Like, I can get very emotional while watching musical theater sometimes. Like, oh, this is so beautiful to like to to be a part of and stuff like that. It's just a favorite thing of mine. Incredible art form. You know, it's the only one Mm -hmm. that combines all of the uh, set. Costume, music, lyrics, song, uh, yeah. text—you know, no other, no other art form combines them all. And when it's working really well, it can be incredibly powerful. And when it's not working well, it could be a, an incredible disaster. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is true. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> so, I mean, you just mentioned—we'll uh, say that we've started here, just so that we don't. But uh, uh, I mean, you mentioned Finian's Rainbow as that kind of that introduction for you. Have you ever thought back on that? Like, do you know why it was that that was just such like a light bulb moment for you? It was a light bulb moment. I, you know, I think I was painting. It just happened, and I think the next day I found the theater department and I was painting sets or whatever. So it was just. Um, I, I just think it it was a path that I was meant to take, and and I think a lot of it was unconscious. But yeah. I just it just sort of followed the followed the yellow brick road, right? <laughs> and things lined up for me. You know, I, I don't think when I was a junior in high school, I did a walk-ons at the University of Wisconsin, and there were mm. two actors from New York who were there, and I was just I was just doing walk-ons because I just loved the theater, and I did other musicals in high when I'm in high school, but. Uh, this is, these are walk-ons, and, and um, one of the actors gave me a brochure for a little school on 23rd and 2nd 
called AMDA. And it was a little Civil War hospital. It was a little brochure. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't been given that brochure and I hadn't acted on it, I think I'd still be in Wisconsin. Right. Okay. No, <laughs> nothing wrong with Wisconsin, but no, I understand what you're saying. No, no. I, you know, I, was, I was pumping gas in a filling station. I was supposed to be a chemical engineer, which was right. a terrible idea because uh, I love I love rockets and making things blow up and whatever, but, but I was terrible at math. And when I found out that chemi- chemi- chemically engineer, <laughs> a chemical engineer would be math, I would have been not there. <laughs> um, uh, so, I, that, that's, so that's where you went to study acting? It was a musical theater, the only musical wow. theater school in the country back then. It was 19, summer of 1966, so, and I promised my parents I'd just go for the eight-week summer course. And I went to New York, came back to Wisconsin, said I'm going back for the fall term, and I I studied there for two years and then started working. Yeah. Who was there that helped you become better? Well, everybody. It was a wonderful school. Uh, Philip Burton, actually Richard's adopted father, <clears throat> was the head of the school. So we had wonderful classes on Shakespeare. Uh, Hanya Holm uh, was, uh, was uh, in the uh, dance department, Harry Wooliver. So we had wonderful three uh, ballet tap and, and uh, jazz. And an elocution teacher, Miss Pollock. Eurythmics, where you... you uh, have one arm going in three and the other arm going in four. I don't know if I've ever used that in a theater, but we had that class. We had a Meisner Technique uh, acting teacher, Robert Modica. It was great. It was a very, te- it's, a, it's a giant, both California and New York, right, at this point. But back then, our classes were 13 people. Right. What what t- year, roughly? Oh, this- uh, uh, the summer of 66 is when I did the summer course. Then I went back. So it was the years of 66, 67, and 68. And then uh, the, the last week of 68, uh, both Vicky and I got the roles in West Side Story and Lincoln Center. And I also got the role in Dear World the same week. So I thought, well, this is great. You just take, you know, go to school for two years, and then you get Broadway shows two Yeah, week. it's like so easy just to get roles and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was reading about that, like this, I think it was the, the first West Side Story revival. So we're talking, like you said, late 60s. Actually, to be accurate, the second. Oh, is it the second? City, okay. City Center did one in Ah. Um, uh, 62 or 63. Yeah. Gotcha. My dear friend uh, but, Larry Moss always points out the fact that his was the first revival because he, he was in it. So, yeah. Okay. Well, it's good to be, be specific here, be yes. correct. Uh, but I was reading on your website was that Leonard Bernstein and Richard Rogers were kind of the ones who picked you out. I mean, those are two big talents to be like, hey, we need you to be in our show. You know, I, I don't you, know what that felt like. You know, I, I preface this all, and, and, and if we talk about follies, I'll talk about that, mm-hmm. too. I just wish I had my older consciousness when I was that young, because <laughs> there I sit in a room with Lenny and Richard and Stephen yeah. and Jerome, and I'm this kid from Wisconsin who's just, you know, trying to figure out, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, had, I was so, I, I wish I had courses in the, musical theater history, but uh, Richard Rogers was actually the producer. Um, I was going to say, he, he must have been on yeah, as a producer four role. Summer, four summers at Lincoln Center at the State Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, the King and I, he produced, uh, uh, I think it was South Pacific. Uh, I know it was Oklahoma, West Side Story, and then one other. And then, of course, Lenny, Lenny uh, who is in the building all the time, because he had been, just been named the, the head of the Philharmonic. Right, right. So he could just go through the door of the Philharmonic, come into the State Theater and rehearse with us, which was really Quite wonderful, and sitting down at the piano with Lenny playing the score of West Side Story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stephen and Jerome weren't around that much. Stephen was off, you know, writing Lincoln Whistle and Company. No, actually, it was, it was after Anyone the Whistle, but he was working on a company. And Jerome was with the ballet, but we had Lee Theodore who recreated 
uh, Robin's choreography and uh, did a brilliant job of, of, she was the original anybody's and yes. she uh, created, recreated it. She was just great with us. Yeah. I think that's an interesting parallel from from that show in, into Follies, which you also appeared on the original Follies, because you have West Side Story, which from the reading I've done, at least the original production of West Side Story wasn't like a giant hit, but it became a giant hit after the movie came out. And then everyone was like uh, enraptured by West Side Story. So you're coming into that uh, kind of as it's ascending up to being like this great and beloved piece of musical theater. I don't know. Did you feel pressure being in this like remounting of that at all? Well, I, 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 I ask any 20-year-old kid from Wisconsin with limited experience in the theater to go stand on the uh, stage of the New York State Theater with a full house and 47 pieces in the orchestra, mm. and you're singing your first major leading role. If you don't feel a little bit of anxiety, <laughs> and sure, sure. you're not human. <laughs> no, for sure. Scared to death. <laughs> How's that? No, that's that's. I think it's a real answer. Three words, scared to death. You go on then, because you were cast as young Ben in in the original Follies. I, I I'm kind of becoming obsessed with this that original production. The more I read about it, but because you were there when you're developing a brand new show, like of course your hope is like, hey, this is going to be a great big hit. This is going to be you know um, something wonderful. Like, how did you feel about? I guess putting that on were you pretty sure like you know people are going to understand this people are going to get this or were you like i don't know i don't know if any, if this is going to be if the people of new york are going to be ready for this well two things uh you know i'd gone through the experience of dear world with angel mm -hmm. lansbury right after west side yeah. and that was a show that was a beautiful score beautiful story beautiful score and, but it had too many chefs in the kitchen and too many different chefs and it it, uh, yeah. it just spun out of control and, and close, and it, you know they're still trying to, to make it make it right. Work. But, uh, yeah. We'll have to see. You know, the jury's out. Uh, so I had that experience. The thing about Follies was that the uh, creative, the uh, the team led by Hal and Michael and Steve and James and uh, Bob Avian and Jonathan and Boris and <laughs> and these you know these people were so so talented, so competent so secure that we never felt that out of control or, or we never felt that we were in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, we, we didn't know quite what we were going to have because, you know, a great portion of it wasn't written when we went into rehearsal, like the right. whole channel end of the, the whole last part of the show wasn't written and we were in rehearsal. <clears throat> Always felt taken care of. Uh, Hal, who I miss so terribly, was like the daddy of theater. Yeah. And, and he had that that energy and that that enthusiasm and optimism that never let you feel that there was any trouble. You know, after reading Ted's wonderful book, Ted Chapin's wonderful book on fathers, we find out there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that we knew about. Right. That we didn't, I mean, other things that, that happened that we didn't know about. So that was sort of eye-opening in a wonderful way. In terms of being in the show Follies, it was very much like a movie. And um, not that I've done a lot of movies, but I know that, in movies, you don't do everything. You don't have a beginning, middle, and end when you go into the process. You know, it's always, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're in and you're doing a scene here. Sometimes a scene is before another scene. Sometimes it's after. That was what Follies was like as a young person uh, coming in as a ghost. It's not like doing the Fantastics where you have a character that goes all the way through the show. You know what's going on. We go in, we go out. We didn't know what the hell was going on some of the time, you know. And plus, you know, we were cast because we were young. You know, we weren't cast because we knew 
what it would be like to be a 54 year old person looking back on your life <laughs> with sure. all the mistakes. We were cast, and I'll speak only for myself because I was half conscious, you know, and we were young and we, we were the people before life happened. So, in, in that sense, I was the perfect one for that because I had no idea what was ahead of me. And we were completely taken care of, but I never knew what, exactly what it was until I left the show and saw it after I'd left to do On the Town. I, mm-hmm. I sat out there and saw it and said, oh, my God. And that was the first time I knew what was up on the stage. That's so interesting to think about, though. Like, But it's true, I think, probably for a lot of actors and uh, big productions. Like, hey, I'm hired. This is, this, is, this is what I have to do. I know what I have to do. It's sometimes hard to like have that a 10,000 foot view of like, oh, this is actually what the production is that, that, that we're doing. Well, you, we get in our actors' heads, you know, when you're first, yeah. I remember Harvey and I were looking, the first day we we're looking through counting our lines. And there weren't that many in the beginning because they hadn't been written. <laughs> and our song hadn't been, we were, where's our song? There's no song. So, going, yeah. you know, our actors' ego are in, are in full, full peacock. <laughs> I, I also have a, I kind of a question too about uh, like original cast recordings. Like famously, that that original Broadway cast has kind of a butchered script rec- or a recording of that original album. But like, w- what was it like going in and just laying down the stuff that they actually did record? Yeah, well, it was it was it was fine. You know, I'd done the Dear World recording, so I knew what yeah. it was like. Back then, you had the full orchestra with you. Yeah. You know, and it was it was very exciting. It's like like singing at the first orchestra rehearsal. You hear mm-hmm. you really you hear more completely all the different wonderful orchestrations. So, and ours is pretty simple, straightforward song. So, right. I think we did it probably in one or two takes, two at the most. So it, it was a, it was a joyful experience. But I know be backstage it wasn't because they were pressed for time, and they were also mm-hmm. pressed for for space on the uh, on the CD and and. Things didn't get recorded that should have. That got recorded yeah. later, and uh, people were pretty cranky about the fact that they weren't given for this wonderful score and wonderful musical theater orchestrations that Stephen said are the best in musical theater history. Right. Stephen said that about Jonathan, Jonathan's orchestrations. Um, it didn't get the full the, the kind of treatment they should have. Yeah, so yeah. it was sad. It's been made up, made up for a little bit with some of the other recordings of things, you know. You had the opportunity, though, if I recall correctly, uh, years later to I think it was a concert version of Follies to play the older version of Ben yes. <laughs> versus oh, the younger God. version of Ben. So what was that like? Kind of returning back in the older role? Oh my God! Oh my God! It was incredible. Uh, uh, Emily Sutton Smith was a student of mine, and then she went off. And she uh, went and worked at the University of, of Michigan and the mm-hmm. Michigan State Theater there. And one summer she called me, I think it was 2003 or 2004, after she'd been there a couple of years, and said that they were thinking about doing the Concert of Follies. And would you think of doing it, doing the older part? And I said, yeah. I said, she said, do you think we'd get some of the other people? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so we got in touch with Harvey and Virginia. And, uh, and Ted, was, Ted was writing the book at that time. Yeah. Harvey, Virginia, and Marty. And then we asked um, Donna, Donna McKechnie, a dear friend, to come in and, and do the uh, Yvonne de Carlo part. And we went there and they had a full, you know, Ann Arbor is a beautiful town and they have, they're, they're so musical, so musical. Actually, my high school roommate, Jeannie Schneider, who is a pianist, uh, a musical director in our, my high school, mm-hmm. was part of the University of Michigan, part of that. So she played play the rehearsals in uh, Michigan when we went to do it. 
it was an incredible experience because every time we heard a note of that music, you know, we'd been on stage with it so much as other characters, but but we we knew that we knew that we knew the show, and and to be up there and uh, doing the the older characters, in that was we like I say, it's talk about your ghosts. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. Like, I mean, talking about Follies, like living with the kind of one of the themes of Follies, which is like the, the ghost of the theater, ghost of your past. Like, you are basically doing that exact thing. Oh, exactly. And the ghosts of the four, especially the ghosts of the four main characters, are with us all the time. Mm-hmm. I have to admit that a lot of the readings of my lines sounded an awful lot like John McMartin. Sure. Because <laughs> I can remember him. Oh, God, which which lines? Oh God, I wouldn't want to go through. God, I wouldn't want to go through all that again. So right. yeah, it was one of his lines. I, uh, I, I'm sure I mimicked him, but uh, they were they were very present, and uh, you know they had all passed on by that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we say there were ghosts, uh, I hope they. Well, no, John was still here. I'm sorry, John, John McMartin was still here. Nice. I, I made sure I sent him a bootleg of the recording. Yeah. Oh, good, good. <laughs> it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And, and, the, and it was amazing how the four young people, as they aged, really had the qualities. You know, um, Marty had, still had that Dorothy quality. Virginia yep. had a little edge to her. Harvey and Jean, they could have done, you know, they could have stepped in and out of each other's roles all through their careers. Mm-hmm. So it was wonderful. That's great. I mean, there's a few other uh, performances I, I want to touch on here. Uh, you, you've already mentioned how you acted opposite Angela Lansbury in Dear World. Um, I've been on record on the show being kind of like this huge fan of Angela Lansbury anyways. But uh, Patty Lapone and Baker's wife, uh, I, I'm going to use this term and I mean it affectionately. Like when when you have these divas, these like big personalities that you're acting opposite, is that... Uh, easier to like lean into your acting or is that daunting I'm, I'm just curious what it's like to when you know you're going to be the foil to someone who has like yes this huge personality yeah well angela was was so professional and so mm-hmm. terrific and and she 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 led by power of example you know her professionalism if mm-hmm. people were listening and watching you, you would see her even in difficult situations which Jerry world was for her yeah. You know, she had just come off Mame, where she was the toast of Broadway, and now she had there was a show that wasn't working. Mm-hmm. But her 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 professionalism, her stamina, you know, there are very few people who can do a a show for a long, long period of time and be there totally with a hundred percent every night. And Angela could. So I learned a lot from her in that way, you know, just, yeah. just watching her and the other characters in the show, Milo O'Shea, Carmen Matthews, Jane Cannell. Uh, Miguel Gadru, uh, Pam, Pam Hall. So there's a lot of profession, and the and the, uh, the chorus people were wonderful too. You know, it was just the creatives who were having having a hard day. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, with with Patty, she wasn't. She was. It was her first big show too. Mm. So so she she wasn't that. Uh, she wasn't Patty like what I like if I had to walk on the stage with her. I was there for a long time before she joined the cast. So she was the gotcha. new girl on the block. So we yeah we. We got along fine. I'm, of course, sitting here in Canada, and you have a Canadian connection because you performed as Bobby in the Canadian production of Company, which I feel like you're becoming the Sondheim guy kind of early on in your career. <laughs> um, what do you think? Like, how did you interpret the role of Bobby? Like, was there something new that you were trying to bring into that role? First of all, I loved being in Canada. Mm-hmm. It was one of the best experiences of my life. 
the theaters, uh, both in Ottawa and then the Bloomfield mm -hmm. down in uh, Toronto. And the, the, kid, the cast was so wonderful, both as human beings and performers. performers. We had a great deal of time to put the show together up in uh, Ottawa. I was Bobby. You know, I was I was single. I was I was I was single, and uh, <laughs> to be honest, I I uh, I had a different girlfriend visiting me almost every weekend the whole time okay. I was in Ottawa and <laughs> Toronto. Need I say more? No. Trouble with yeah. commitment. Trouble with commitment. Me, Bobby. <laughs> you could you could drive a person crazy. Kirk. Yeah, <laughs> and I love it's one of my favorite shows. It's one yeah. I think it's my favorite show. I mean, follows in a different way. Company's my favorite show. And and again, I had the experience when I went up there and I heard them, you know, playing the score through. I've seen Company uh, 20 times. I was dating Donna back, uh, back right. uh, when they took it to um, London. And Larry was a dear friend of mine and all the cast people were. So I knew every note of that music. And uh, I was just in tears in rehearsals because I loved it so much. And to have the opportunity to do it in a first-class premiere production, I think it was the first production up in Canada. Yeah was a, a gift and uh, and Shirley Douglas oh my god we, we became very close and I love her dearly and I'm sorry she we lost her just last year yeah yeah just then, very recently which uh, if people don't know is uh, uh Kiefer Sutherland's um or no sorry um yeah her mom yes mother I, I, I thought Kiefer, I got that backwards yeah Kiefer Sutherland's Kiefer's, Kiefer's mom and Donald's uh, former wife yeah 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 you're gonna love tomorrow you're gonna be with me. You're gonna love tomorrow. I'm this is as good a time as any to break into the conversation to let you know just a few different things. Number one, uh, as I always say kind of in this portion, if you would like to help support the show for absolutely free, you can give a rating and review on whatever app you listen to podcasts in, and that's greatly appreciated. Uh, if you'd like to help monetarily, which will definitely help this show grow and become better. And especially now, uh, because of some personal things, there's going to be a lot more free time that I have, which of course I'm just going to fill up with more work because I hate free time. Uh, then there is definitely some things a brewing that are going to be start being pushed over, not just on the Patreon page, but all the places that you can enjoy putting it together on. Uh, so that's a little bit of a foreshadow for the upcoming weeks. Uh, you can go over to our Patreon page, though. Please do not donate if it impacts you negatively financially. Uh, by the way, we do have a new patron this week. So welcome aboard, Jeff. I also need to give a huge thank you to the God That's Good tier of Jack, Todd, and Carrie. Let me also say that Putting It Together is still a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week we're brought to you by ATB's podcast, The Future Of. Hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist, The Future Of podcast has launched its second season. By connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for the things that mean the most to you, The Future Of podcast promises to give you insights to help navigate what is often an uncertain future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. Subscribe to The Future Of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. And connect with us at atb.com slash thefutureof.
This week, we're also brought to you by the Calgary Foundation, proudly supporting community needs for 65 years. Everyone wants to feel a sense of belonging. Now, more than ever, we are united by a desire to take action and help others by creating a community built on kindness and compassion. From small, creative projects to larger citizen-led initiatives, the Calgary Foundation provides grassroots grants to encourage and support people who want to create and strengthen bonds between neighbors and communities. If you've got an idea to improve, enhance, or revitalize our community or neighborhood, visit calgaryfoundation.org to find out more about the Foundation's grant opportunities and visit the Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channel. Wonders to make your life soul-stirring and free of care. If we fight and we might, I'll concede. Furthermore, dear, should you... So, of course, you've had this, you know, lengthy, great career. Are there any other standouts that you are, like, just are particularly proud of? Like, I'm so glad I got to be a part of this. Well, that's Sondheim, the musical tribute. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the 75th one or the 75th birthday or was it a different one? Oh, no, Kyle. Oh, Kyle. I caught you on this. You've got to go back. You've got to get the encyclopedia out. I guess so. First, yeah, the very first celebration of Stephen Sondheim was at the Schubert Theater on March 11th, 1973 on the stage of the Little Night Music. And every single star that had ever sung a Sondheim show was there. Right. And it was the first celebration and the model for many other tributes that were happening afterwards. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was recorded on Warner Brothers Records, the two-album two LP set. Now it's on, on disc. It's called Legendary. Um, several people, uh, press agents, said it was one of the best, one of the five best musicals they'd ever seen in their lives. Mm-hmm. And it was, for me, it was incredible. I was a producer. It was my first big producing thing. And I sat in the back of the theater with Stephen Sondheim on the steps and watched most. I was the only thing I did was the "You're Gonna Love Tomorrow." Mm-hmm. I sat there with Stephen uh, crying, and uh, just made me want to be a producer, creative producer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it and it was good for Stephen too because he, at that point, night music had just opened, and he was he was not being acclaimed in the way that he is now. He was being ignored right. and mis. Mis- misunderstood and ignored back then. And this was the theater community coming out and saying, this man is, is super important. Pay attention to him. And all of the people who were in the show made that statement too. So it was incredible. Yeah, I, 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 I try and my best to not to like psychoanalyze him as a man too much. But um, from what I've read and, and, and interviews I've watched and stuff like that, I would imagine that like what you just said is so incredibly true because we're still in the early seventies then at that point. And you're right. He was still not really looked at as like how he is looked like nowadays. Uh, in fact, if you read reviews back then kind of dismissed a lot of the time for, for his West contributions. Side didn't even mention him. West Side didn't even yeah. mention him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was dismissed with forum forum too. And his music yeah. was dismissed. Follies was dismissed. Yes. I was, you know, let's go 50, 50 on Follies. But the, the major critics, Walter Kerr and Clive Barnes, missed the whole idea of it. He had he had a lot of uh, baggage, yeah. You know when he, you know, and he he deserves in the way that he was underpraised. He deserves any any right. kind of pizzazz now that he gets. <laughs> what made you decide to flip though into producing? I always had a business sense, and I, I just thought it would be uh, 
I don't know. It's another one of those unconscious things that led me. When I was in Follies, Fritz Holt was a stage manager, and he and his partner, Barry Brown, had the uh, rights to Gypsy in London with Angela. Mm-hmm. And I was on the road with Follies after the New York run, and uh, they were having difficulty raising money. So I offered to help them raise money. And I actually raised a quarter of the budget for Gypsy just by being a cute little kid taking people to lunch. Good. And so it was my first producing thing. And I had, you know, points in, in Gypsy with Angela. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's a very, cre- you know, I, I, my, my, uh, my role model is Hal, who is a creative producer. And I think um, it gives you the ability to choose your projects and make them happen. It also lets you lose a lot of your money. So I, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I never follow the rule, don't invest your own money. Wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah, that's the number one rule. Yeah, don't put your own money. Yes, it is. Yeah. Whoops. As, the company itself is called uh, James William Productions. I'm getting that yes. correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. What, why what is are, that? Yeah, why is that, Kurt? Because <laughs> my name is James William Peterson, and I had to change it when I got my first job. Tommy Toon hired me for a job as a singer at the Milwaukee Melody Top in 1967 the summer, and they had a James and a Jim and a Jimmy Peterson in equity. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you had to find a new one. So, Mom, the good news is I got a job at Equity. The bad news is we got to find another name. So my mother and all my, all my friends, we knocked out Sydney, we knocked out Bruce, we knocked out a few others, and we ended up with Kurt. And I, I like was it. that a, a particular name from the family or something, or it was just kind of made up? Okay. It was strong. It's sort of, sort of strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good consonant that you get to start off with. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, well, what are some of the, the productions that you've been doing here recently? Let's see. There was Gypsy, then there was a tribute to Stephen Sondheim. And then after that, I produced, I was cast by Robbie Marshall in uh, a wonderful side-by-side with Paige O'Hara and Marshall Waterbury right. down at the Sarasota. And we did it at the regional theater and Robbie did a brilliant job. And so I sold it to Columbia Artists as a producer. And I, for, we toured for three years, 1989, 90, and 91. Uh, all over the country with this production side by side by Sondheim that Robbie had done. It was a, a, a trim down. We had a, one grand piano and it was very highly choreographed. And Robbie was a genius. And uh, he was so wonderful because we kept we kept hiring great leading ladies. They would always get other jobs. So we had Judy McClain. We had uh, Kim Criswell. We had uh, Virginia Sandifer, Swell Nasty. We had... Diane Ragusa, we had, oh my God, they kept coming and going. And every time we did, Robbie had to grab a stool and go over to the studio and, and put them in the show. Yeah. And I'm glad, glad he did that before he was famous. And right <laughs> over there is a Rob Marshall stool. If anyone wants to oh. wants to make a bid on eBay, one day they'll go to Actors Fund or something like that. But that's a Robbie Marshall stool. The that's original. excellent. <laughs> After Side by Side, then... Um, then I, I built up the voice studio, which uh, I took mm-hmm. some time off and I built it up. And now we've got this wonderful place here with 13 studios, uh, 13 pianos. I have a 13 piano family, uh, some of the best teachers and uh, conducting coaches, musical coaches, top stars down to the first, first day of people off the bus here in the city. It's, it's an incredible place that has been pretty dead for the past year, but just starting to come back now. That's thrilled. We're starting to get the people back. Yeah, I've and heard then, rumors and, uh, that there is uh, some uh, Broadway productions flirting with like opening up at limited yeah, capacity oh, here pretty yeah, soon. I hope, uh, yeah, I hope so. And then the next thing I produced was Captain Louis, the Stephen Schwartz family musical. Mm-hmm. who was a general partner on that, and we did that and toured it. 
Then I did a wonderful one-person play called Capture Now, directed by Larry Moss, a, a story about two brothers who share their experience with rock music and mm-hmm. lose the little brother. It's a story, love story between two brothers. Then I put a Zero Hour, which is a Jim brochure, did this wonderful show about Zero Mostel. We ran mm-hmm. three years off Broadway with that. It just revived it two years ago. After that, um, I was doing a Christmas album with Kelly O'Hara, and it was one of those one of those out-of-town out of stories that happened in town, but uh, I won't say much about it, except it was very devastating for us all. We'd spent a year on it and had all the major composers writing brand new music for it. And uh, up, in the, uh, up in the legal and agent, agentry, whatever, had mm-hmm. trouble and it fell apart. Kelly and I remained dear friends and uh, maybe something could happen with that later on. Then I produced, um, I started working on a musical called Dancing on the Moon after I became reconnected with my dear friend, Victoria Mallory, who I did West Side Story with, right. Fantastics with, Sondheim Tribute with, and many other shows with her. And we were together for quite a few years. And we were doing an original musical called Dancing on the Moon, which is autobiographical. Larry Moss and myself and my composer, Jesse, Jesse Weiner, uh, worked really hard on that. And then at one point we decided that it's going to take us a while to get this dancing up on Broadway. So we decided to do a concert with using the songs that we sang and stories about us. So we put together the concert when everything was possible. And we did that at right. City Center on, uh, on August, April 30th, 2012. And um, we're about to tour it around the country. We, we started touring and went down actually Vicky's hometown in Georgia. Uh, did a full production in their beautiful River Theater. And uh, then Vicky got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. We lost her um, mm-hmm. two years later. And then uh, I did two things. We, we completed the script of Dancing on the Moon with a new ending. And that's, that's Vicky and my story. So that's, that's, that's being sent out right now. Mm-hmm. And then I, put, I decided that I needed to, to, Vicky was such an important person in my life. That there were, I, I looked back and I said, what am I going to do without Vicky? What I did was I decided to do a show honoring and thanking uh, 23 of the ladies of the musical theater who not only helped me and inspired me, but actually mentored and, and, and became a part of me. And it's called Proud Ladies, Lessons Learned, Close Encounters of Lessons Learned from 23 of uh, the most wonderful leading theater, ladies in the theater. And they include... We have time, a couple minutes, don't we, Kyle? Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, here's the, uh, here's the title. You can see the, sort of the title page. And it includes uh, ladies who are, I was close to in one way or another, professionally, sometimes romantically, and certainly uh, as a colleague and a friend. Well, Laura Bonanti, Betty Buckley, Dorothy Collins, Yvonne DiCarlo, Carol Demas, Patricia Elliott, Catherine Hepburn, Katie Huffman, <laughs> Angela Lansbury, Rebecca Luker, God bless her soul, Patty Lapone, Victoria Mallory, Donna McKechnie, Ethel Merman, Dina Merrill, Bernadette Peters, Faith Prince, Kelly O'Hara, Paige O'Hara, Ethel Chate, Broadway Baby, Alexis Smith, Elaine Stritch, and Nancy Walker. It's uh, directed by Lisa Asher, music director, direction Ian Herman, choreographed by Josh Bergast, the wonderful Josh Bergast. Graphic design by Frank Dane. My co-producer is Stephanie Skyless. And so, for, sorry, for this show, is there uh, actresses, like, portraying these they women? Are on, is that, they are on, yes. uh, let me show you, yeah. they are on uh, projections. Uh-huh. 
Oh, I gotcha. I see, I see. They become very much alive. Actually, there's mm. two screens. This is a one screen shot. But there's two screens, one that flies and one that's back and be right next to on the ground. So mm-hmm. the ladies are very much alive. Sometimes I sing with them too. Oh, amazing. I mean, well, because you brought her up, like I now I'm so curious. Like, how are you connected to Katherine Hepburn? <laughs> you want to know the story? <laughs> I would love to know the story because, uh, again, another person I'm kind of obsessed with. So Catherine comes up on the screen. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you give the audience a chance, they will do half your acting for you, Catherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. I developed a mini relationship with the one of a kind Kate as she asked me to call her in the elevator of my building. She was studying voice with one of the many teachers taught there both before, during, and after her run in Coco, the musical about Coco Chanel. Most of the times I saw her, she looked as if she'd been struggling with a patch of weeds. And I assumed she'd come from her Connecticut home and not after having an afternoon tea at her Turtle Bay townhouse. And no matter what pleasantries we exchanged as we either floated or sank in the elevator, she almost always before parting would whisper in my ear, you know, Kurt, don't tell anyone, but I really can't sing, not a fucking note. (laughs) (laughs) And she would leave the elevator laughing. As it happened one summer, I was appearing at the Goodspeed Opera House in a production of Something's Afoot, which was near her Connecticut home. Something's Afoot was a Miss Marple murder mystery, and I mentioned it to Kate. Without missing a beat, she said, I'll be there. Well, in the musical, I played Jeff, a young university student who made his entrance in a shorts and a letter sweater, drenched after having turned over his canoe on the way to Faded Island. My first line was, Drat, my letter's running. And there was usually some laughter. Well, one Saturday evening, as I waddled on stage, soaking wet, and exclaimed my opening line, I heard a loud, very familiar voice shout, Good God, will you get a load of those legs? It was Kate. I think she'd had an extra cocktail at sunset. The audience immediately recognized the voice and broke into uproarious laughter. I stood there, a wet, blushing juvenile in shorts, trying desperately not to join them as it went on for a very long time. It was years later that I read that she had said, if you give the audience the chance, they will do half your acting for you. And I learned that from Kate in the most wonderful way. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) So Proud proud Ladies, we actually started it at uh, a theater down in Columbus, Georgia, Vicky's hometown. We started Proud Ladies. And then we were we were set to go to many different theaters, and then we were just the, the earth was pulled out from under us with the, mm-hmm. the virus, and we're just starting now to do outreach again. So hopefully we'll we'll be out there, we'll be able to celebrate these wonderful women. Yeah, some I, who are with us, some who are angels. Yeah, yeah. This is honestly just your description of that. Like uh, it, this is like shut up on my list of stuff I want to go and check out. That sounds like a wonderful <laughs> night. Which town? Are you, which town are you in, Kyle? I am. I am in Calgary, Alberta, right now. Oh so my I'm god! On, oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> way on the west side of Canada. <laughs> sure, I hear wonderful things about that place. Oh, it's and honestly, like um, uh, the theater community here is actually really uh, uh, growing and expanding very, very nicely. In fact, like a lot of people don't know this, but here in Alberta, both uh, Hades Town was developed here originally. We had its first right. world premiere here before it moved to Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did uh, the musical Six, which was on Broadway before everything got closed down. Started of course, here. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And and uh, it, talking about the Hal Prince connection, actually, one of his um, assistant directors, Stafford Arima, uh, is uh-huh. now the head of Theater Calgary. So there is oh uh, some great stuff happening here in Calgary, which I'm very excited about. Well, I should I should send them my proud ladies. Yeah, you should. <laughs> you know, uh, Kurt, this is, of course, a Stephen Sondheim podcast primarily, but I would love to know, I'd like to ask this question, uh, what is your favorite Sondheim lyric? He is so brilliant. There are so many. I do have one favorite, and it's, for, mm-hmm. it's not because it's his best lyric, but because it, it applies to uh, my life in a, in a very <clears throat> special way. I, I'm just trying to think of some of the uh, other lyrics that are um, that are just so so much a part of me and nothing's going to harm you mm-hmm. not while i'm around you know i think that's an incredible lyric i think the lyrics to to uh, the bridal scene in west side story are simple and beautiful i love the lyric change where in being alive where he changes someone to somebody mm-hmm. and it changes it from an angry tirade and a, and a denial and an off-putting Someone to hold you too close, someone to hurt you too deep, someone to sit in your, you know, someone to do that. Mm-hmm. And then he turns it around with just a, a couple of changes in the chord and he goes, somebody. So mm-hmm. it goes from someone to somebody, hold me too close, somebody. That's beautiful. You know, it's a beautiful song, but if you don't do it with that change from, from the angry and the denial, and going to think you're missing the whole point. You know, you just can't get up there and say, somebody, hold me too close. No, give me the other stuff. Even if you truncate it, which I did in the, uh, in the concert with Vicky. Me here at last on the ground, you in midair. Yeah. <laughs> opening doors, finally, finally knowing the one that I wanted with yours. Yeah. The incredible brilliance of the, the emotional situation of that scene. And then to use, to use uh, theater. You know, theater. Yeah. 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 Theater words. And send in the car. The power, power of the um, of the the, the 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 use of few words, you know, Stephen. I could go on forever with those. No, um, that's great. Yeah, but but the one, that, well, my favorite is the one that I sang because it's what I feel during this virus. Hmm. It's what I feel is is my purpose in in, in, in now in life and in theater is to uh, to know that we're all we're all part of this this trip together. And Stephen put it in a way that's really sweet. He said, we're in this thing together. Aren't you glad? <laughs> and that's from the verse of you're going to love tomorrow. Yeah. We're in this thing together. Aren't you glad? <laughs> I love that. If you could apply that to the world. This is uh, what I've discovered a lot while doing the show. Not that I didn't already sort of know this, but it's just been hammered home time and time again about why I think Sondheim is so brilliant at what he does is that he's able to communicate these really complex human um, feelings and, and uh, uh, anxieties in just very simple language. <laughs> and I think that's the, what is hard. Not everyone can do that and be concise and clear and uh, to the point like that and be like, oh, that cuts me like a knife, right? It, just using simple language. Uh, simple, but so, so profound, you know, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. take, take things that we use, use in life, you know, we got a good thing going. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these things that are so part of, are ingrained in our hearts, but then he puts, puts it in context of the play and it has a triple meaning, has a triple whammy, yeah. you know, um, we, you name it, 
Uh, Kurt, this has been an absolute blast. I've had so much fun uh, talking with you. Um, if, if people wanted to, is there an easy way to find you online, follow you online, see what you're up oh, to? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, you can, um, <laughs> I'm, please reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Please do. Especially if you've got a theater for proud ladies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, James W. Production, singular. James W. Production Singular at AOL.com. And then I have a lovely website that has uh, the productions, the voice studio, and personal uh, you know, bios. And then there's a news, a news thing that's on it. And that's JamesWilliamProductions.com. Mm-hmm. And Proud Ladies and James William Productions is on Facebook, too. I mean, I love to hear to people, people who love musical theater. As you can tell, I like to talk a lot, too. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Thank you so much, Kurt. Thank you so much for listening. You can send emails to puttingittogetherpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow Sondheim Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash puttingittogetherpodcast. Thank you to the Alberta Podcast Network, to ATB, and to the Calgary Foundation this week. Putting It Together is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts from. Consider subscribing so that you never miss an episode. Next week... A special episode about the top 10 songs that Sondheim wrote from 1970 to 1975. Of course, all of my own opinion, but I'm sure it's going to ruffle just a few feathers. As always, a big thanks to the great Chris Taniguchi, who designed the podcast artwork, and to Nick Driscoll for composing our theme music. Well, we've reached the end of our episode. Yes, I know. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.